Welcome to the Dacus Report, hosted by Pacific Justice Institute founder and president Brad Dacus. For 25 years, PJI has counseled, represented, and defended people whose religious freedoms, parental rights, or sanctity of life have been obstructed or violated, all free of charge. We leave no one behind and level the playing field for Americans as they are subjected to the tyranny of the powerful. Now, here's Brad Dacus. Welcome to the Dacus Report. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. On today's show, uh, we're going to talk about how churches are under attack. We're going to visit with our attorney out of our North Carolina office about what we're doing there to assist churches, as well as a doctor, a Christian doctor, uh, who's under the gun for doing his conscience and doing what he felt was right. We're going to talk about those later in the show. But the first part of the show, I'd like to talk to our attorney out of our Nevada office, uh, attorney Emily Mimnaw, uh, to discuss some very timely and sensitive matters uh, dealing with our civil liberties at a, a, a state level. Welcome to the show, Emily. Good morning. Hi, Brad. Hi. Now, we have offices all across the country, uh, as you know, um, and because of that, we not only you know handle cases at a federal level, uh, but we're also very sensitive to what's happening at a state level. And uh, this uh, very unique uh, structure that we have with all of these offices allows us to, to get engaged and involved in really helping people specifically with their state issues uh, because those states' uh, issues often don't stay there in that state. They often go to other states and, and they often uh, infect other states or, or bless other states depending if it's good or bad legislation. Uh, uh, I understand that uh, to start with, uh, that um, we're, we've issued our opposition at Pacific Justice Institute to uh, legislation AB223, uh, which is uh, reducing California public, uh, the Records Act. Uh, first, you know, California is pushing this new bill to limit public access to public records. Um, why is that important? Why should people care about it? What, what does it do? Right, well, the access to public records is... You know, in effect, it's talking about your ability to see and know what the government is doing. We're talking about the meetings of public bodies. We're talking about government proceedings. And really, it is fundamentally the rock bed, I would say, the bedrock of transparency in yeah. government. Now, em <laughs> now Emily, I, I just want to, I want people to understand this. So at a time when, when we have so much uh, conspiracy, if you will, that's not really even con conspiracy, it's now reality, um, of government hiding things, whether it's dealing with the CDC, uh, you know, the, the Department of Justice, the FBI, uh, you know, all kinds of, you know, Border Patrol, all these different agencies. I've never seen in my life more hiding information, uh, corruption. And to see that the state of California has the audacity to push legislation to legitimize hiding information from the public, I find that just so surprising. And yet, that's exactly what this bill would do, right? That, that, is, exactly, that, that is exactly what it would do. And that's why PJI, um, through our Center for Public Policy, we have you know, issued a very clear objection to this, this legislation. As, as you recall, Brad, a couple of weeks ago, we had a conversation here on his channel discussing all the various ways that people can use what, what are called um, either Freedom of Information Act at the, in, at the federal level or sunshine laws, right, at the state level, where you can, you, you as a citizen, a private citizen, can use these laws at a federal and state level 
to find out what it is your government is doing. So when you see the proposals like this that are intentionally acting to conceal and secret away government proceedings and government records and government files, people should be very concerned. Yeah, they definitely should be because, um, you know, this is, is, is a definite, definite challenge. Now, I understand it. Uh, if you're under 18, you're, you're legal, a, mi a minor, a child, right? Uh, under this that's legislation. Correct. So that's, that's uh, so you're legal and minor. And if you're a child, you can change uh, this, according to this legislation, you can change your gender and biological sex and name and hide that from the public permanently. That's what this legislation would allow. That, that's, that's right. I, I like that you hit the word permanently there because that's, that's a real eye, eyebrow raiser, right? Which is to say, Maybe you're going to make the argument, you, you, you know, if you're, you have your reasonable hat on, you think, okay, maybe we're protecting the privacy of minors. No, no. We're actually incentivizing minors, which is to say children, to make these you know, life-altering decisions now before you hit 18 because that permanently hides, that permanently um, shields from public view matters of what should be public record. So if you're thinking about changing your name, if you're thinking about changing your sex, if you're thinking about changing your gender, this bill not only incentivizes you to do so before you turn 18, it then permanently hides that change from the public and potentially from law enforcement. Now, are, uh, are there laws uh, or policies in California that uh, support uh, secreting away government you know, proceeding? Uh, absolutely not. Public policy is exactly to the contrary. If you look at California, uh, what's called Public Records Act, it's government section 6250. It very specifically says that in California, there is a policy that favors accountability, that favors transparency. Uh, you, you, there's a simple, you know, democracy dies in darkness, right? That's why we call the public records um, statutes at the state level sunshine laws, right? You should know what your government is doing. And that is exactly what the statutes on the books in California uphold. And so this, this bill obviously is moving in the direct opposite direction of that. Yeah. Well, we know that uh, truth thrives in an atmosphere of transparency. Uh, we're suppressing that. Conversely, uh, as you pointed out, uh, you know, government secrecy sows mistrust and shields malfeasance. malfeasance. So uh, that's what we're asking for with this legislation. My concern, Emily, is that what you pointed out earlier is going to be is going to take off. Uh, we're going to see activist groups uh, from the from the left uh, encouraging minors to say, "Hey." Quickly, uh, change your gender, change your, uh, your identity, uh, and uh, start the, the process. Uh, become independent from your parents so uh, you can become, uh, have, have, have full control of this and, and start it now. And the problem with that, of course, is that adolescence is where there's a lot of fluidity regarding this. And if most kids are just left alone, uh, the overall majority of them will no longer have this confusion as they approach adulthood and graduate from high school. They, they, they're not going to have it, uh, the majority. That's what the studies show. But this is going to encourage them to solidify the confusion, become permanently sterilized prematurely. And, and then, of course, uh, it's going to be also secret from the, and, and kept from the, the, uh, the public um, as they go into adulthood. You know, what's, what's, as far as the, 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 the sealing of, of public records, uh, what are the what's the standard for California in sealing public records? 
Right. There are existing constitutional protections in the state of California that push back or limit the extent to which usually a court, not a politician, a court can determine when it is necessary to seal a public record. And so what you what the standard is, is you have to um, adopt findings. This is, an important, this is an important word, as we'll see. When you see a bill, when you see a statute going before the legislative body, they have to, the bill has to present findings that justify why whatever change is being sought is necessary. So in this case, if you want to um, show necessary findings as to why some public records should be sealed, you need to demonstrate that there's an interest protected by uh, imposing a limitation on the public access to that record. So again, that's not my opinion. That's from the California Legislative um, Council Digest. So if you distill that down, what are we saying? We're saying one, you need to show that you there's an interest that needs protecting. Okay, interests that needs protecting. Two, you need to show findings that the state of California is best positioned to protect that interest. Right. So you need to have an interest, and the state needs to be the one best positioned to protect that interest. Okay, I. I <laughs> I have a hard time seeing there being any legitimate interest for the state of California to enable minor children to do sex change actions to themselves and identity changes before the age of 18 while they're still a minor. I don't get that. What is there anything to, to justify this action uh, in this legislation based on the, these standards you just mentioned? Based on the actual existing standards, no. And so, unsurprisingly, the bill doesn't try to make that claim. What, they, what, what, you, what we see in this bill, and I'm sorry to say, what we're seeing as an emerging trend, I would say, um, within this uh, perhaps ideological colonization, let's say, uh, of what is acceptable thought with respect to sex and so-called gender identity, is that there is this claim that it is being, this, this, this secrecy is necessary on the basis that it is uh, upholding and furthering a safety interest. Now, what is the safety interest? That's a great question, and the bill doesn't really explain that. There are no, again, findings other than a statistic that is put forward um, saying that, you know, something that you already pointed out, Brad, and that we're well aware of, which is that there is a strong correlation um, between transgender or so-called non-binary youth, where they are between two and two and a half times more likely as uh, minors, as children, to have suicidal thoughts, to engage in self-harm, um, as compared to non-LGBTQ, you know, peers or similarly situated children. Okay, so we do know that there's an association between depression, suicidal tendencies in, in that that um, group of people, self-identified people. Again, that that's according to the California Legislative Digest. So what what the bill doesn't do is explain or draw <laughs> draw a line or any line between that one statistic and the justification for secreting away otherwise publicly accessible records. And that's simply not explained, and I would say it's because there is no obvious connection between the two. No, there, there isn't. And uh, the fact that this will precipitate probably more children, more minors, making permanent life-changing decisions prematurely that will be impacting their lives statistically negatively, we know it will. Uh, I understand the stats, as, as you pointed out, you know, the transgender... Uh, Non-binary youth are two to two and a half times as likely to like you said, experience symptoms, seriously consider depression, uh, suicide. Uh, in fact, you know, the uh, children you know, making this transition do not decrease depression. It doesn't decrease suicide. If anything, it increases suicide and depression. So there's no logical public policy reason here to justify anything that would encourage harm 
to children who are already confused and have been deceived or misled. Um, this is uh, outrageous. And also, it, uh, the legislation, I understand, it says uh, allowing our children to choose when and how they decide to share their personal details is vital. Whoa! Our children? The state thinks these are their children? No, it's mom and dad's children that are being impacted by this. And this is very indicative of how twisted and sick these legislators are that they have this worldview that somehow that uh, our kids, mom and dad's out there, no, no, it's their kids and that's why they feel empowered to mess up and screw up their lives as they wish for their own hideous evil agendas uh, and, uh, and cruel agendas as we see statistically. This isn't my speaking. This is what the stats show. And this is going to encourage that, to, uh, that harm to continue to these children who need help, they need love, they need intervention, they need counseling. But oh no, legislation doesn't deal with that at all. No, it just encourages more harm to children. At PJI, we exist to serve everyone in need of counsel, representation, and defense of their religious liberties, parental rights, and the sanctity of life. We don't take cases based on how high profile they are. We are workhorses, not show horses. Keep current on PJI's work on all the legal challenges we face on a daily basis by signing up for our Legal Insider email newsletter at pji.org. Now, back to the Dacus Report. Welcome back. Uh, we have with us, uh, to join us now, our attorney out of our North Carolina office, um, and I'm just so glad to have him uh, on the program, Adam Draper. Adam, welcome to the program. Thanks. Thanks, Brad. Glad, glad, good to see you. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you on our team. I know you're really busy there in North Carolina with a number of different case matters and things that you're dealing with. Uh, I'd like to, to start off uh, with one that I know we're handling, and it's, it's, I love to let people know in particular about the cases that, that we're handling and that you're involved in uh, on behalf of PJI, and that's dealing with a, a Christian doctor in Burlington um, who, is, uh, who we're defending before a medical board, why are we having to defend this, this Christian doctor before a medical board? What hideous thing did he allegedly do? Huh. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting one, Brad. Um, it, it turns out that he prescribed ivermectin to a retired doctor who wanted to use it to see if it would... Um, alleviate symptoms associated with having taken the vaccine. So um, the the doctor, our client, decided, yeah, we, well, uh, we we can we can do that. Wrote the prescription for him, and the pharmacy then took his prescription and copied it to this retired doctor's family doctor. Whereupon, without calling our client, the family doctor called the North Carolina uh, Medical Board and uh, filed a complaint against him saying that he had prescribed ivermectin instead of the vaccine for the treatment of COVID. Okay. And uh, so... Not kidding. Okay. okay. And, and, and the board, of course, contacted him. And, and the doctor uh, went back to the board and said, I didn't. Uh, I met him for this person. 
you know, under the circumstances that I just said. And, and, and the board said, oh, well, you have to give us all of your entire basis for having prescribed ivermectin to someone for the treatment of COVID. So how did, what did the doctor say when he was asked to provide information as to why he prescribed uh, ivermectin? We, the ivermectin was to uh, a retired doctor who wanted the ivermectin uh, to help to see if it would combat symptoms of the COVID vaccine. We know the vaccine has symptoms, actually some very dire symptoms uh, for, uh, for people. We've seen people, we've, I think the stats are 30, over 34,000 have died from the COVID vaccine or the subsequent boosters. Uh, that's indisputable. That's actually validated uh, re- reports. Those are actually what's been reported uh, to the CDC. Uh, so I can see why, first off, why a doctor would want to, a retired doctor, much less, um, who would want to perhaps have something that could help mitigate the side effects of, of a vaccine um, like this. I mean, maybe the doctor has underlying conditions where he felt the risk versus the benefit would warrant uh, having the COVID vaccine. Or maybe he received the vaccine without him uh, knowing about it. We've, se- we've seen that happen before. People go to doctor's offices and they get a, an injection. They think they're getting an injection for for one thing, and they're getting it also for something else, um, like a combination of the flu and the COVID vaccine. So uh, we see that, that that's, I think that's very reasonable. And we know that ivermectin is actually is used. Uh, in fact, it's the primary remedy for, for COVID in, in Japan. They don't use remdesivir, which is nicknamed run death is near. Uh, <laughs> they don't use that in Japan. They use uh, ivermectin. So there, there is, it, is it because he's uh, not kowtowing to you know, the fiber, uh, Pfizer and the big American pharma companies that uh, control our, our high, large medical institutions, arguably, in the United States? Well, I mean, that, that's my guess. I mean, they, they, didn't, they didn't give a, a reason for it. I would, I would say this, and I'll go back and tell you this guy's circumstances in a second. But, you know, North Carolina is, uh, is dominated by big pharma. Now and people haven't realized that you think of North Carolina it used to be as tobacco and textiles and furniture, but it's not anymore. Uh, North Carolina has got the Research Triangle Park, which is full of uh, uh, big pharma, and it's got uh, all kinds of um, microbiological um, places and, and, and all kinds of uh, uh, it's huge interconnection with uh, medicine. So. Uh, there is a big lobby for that in, in North Carolina and a, a lot of money associated with it. So this doctor that, um, that is the, the family doctor of the retired doctor, okay, um, worked for Duke Family Practice, which is that's Duke University. Okay, all right. Uh, and and uh, the circumstances of... of our client, the, the, the physician in Burlington, um, and, and I'm deliberately not mentioning his name because I don't, I don't want to throw this out everywhere. It has not become a cause celeb yet, and I'm not sure he wants it to be. So I'm, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not using that yet, but uh, he, he certainly wants it to be known that this is, is happening because he's not the only doctor. Um, so the retired doctor is actually married 
to a retired doctor. So the retired doctor that was getting treated this time is a male, okay, in his 70s. And his wife is also a retired doctor. And she was getting uh, treated for, again, uh, COVID symptoms um, associated with the, having taken the vaccine, uh, also getting ivermectin, and it worked for her. So she suggested to her husband um, that he, he uh, was experiencing brain fog, and it was unusual for him. He also understood, well, you know what, I'm getting a little older. However, this is, this is an, a, sort of an immediate onset after I took the vax, and I think it's related to the vax. And so he called this uh, doctor in Burlington to ask him if, if what he thought about that. The doctor in Burlington said, I don't know. I haven't seen anybody using it for brain fog. However, the ivermectin has been used for a long time with regard to neurological issues. If this has anything to do with that, maybe it'll help you. Um, so the retired doctor said, I would really like to try that. Do you see any reason not to? They both looked into it and decided, well, ivermectin is safe. It's like decades safe. It's a really, really safe thing to say, right. to, to take. Okay. So he said, well, it, it can't be, a, it's not going to harm you. Why, right. why don't we try? Right. So he did, and it didn't help him. Okay. But those were the circumstances in which this, this doctor from Duke Family Practice took it upon himself to turn him into the, into the medic right. board, the medical board. Right. You know, you know, Adam, I, I'll tell you, I just so wish we had more doctors like the one that we're defending who have a conscience in putting the patient first and doing what's best for the patient. And uh, we need to protect those doctors. And I'm glad we're doing that. I know we have some other uh, matters to, to cover as well. We got you have so much that you're, you're, you're dealing with there. Uh, and so I'm, I'm glad we're going to bat for them. And I, I greatly appreciate that. Uh, turning tables, if we can, uh, to another subject dealing with church autonomy. Um, Adam, I understand that, uh, that we've been helping a number of churches work through the process of uh, making sure that they are not violating the law when they refuse, for instance, to allow a biological men uh, to, to use the ladies' room. Uh, there's no issue here about a church wanting to, to keep out anyone. The churches, are, their arms are open for anyone, whosoever will, shall come. Uh, they, who wanted, who wanted the, the bread of life, who wanted to, to hear from the word, uh, who want to have a personal relationship with the Lord. That's not the issue. The issue, though, is churches who are like, hey, you know, we don't want to uh, allow biological men to go into the women's restroom. I think that's a valid concern. So is this really a, an issue there that uh, you've seen? Un un unfortunately, it has turned out to be an issue. Hmm. And... I'm so glad you said that, Brad, because because all of them, all every pastor that has come and talked to me about this, um, and all the members of of their their board that that have called us about this are insistent. Look, we we want uh, we want anyone to be able to come to our church. We, we we are here to minister to the lost. However, we have to protect our sheep as well. What are we supposed to do about this? And uh, the, so the answer is, unfortunately, it is an issue. Right. Um, okay. And, and we know, Brad, this because we've had this example. Um, Dave 
Peterson with with PJI has uh, been helping um, a, a lady who a grandma who went into a YMCA and was in the shower and a biological male came in got in a shower and was ogling some girls 10 to 12 year old girls going to the bathroom the lady complained and the YMCA kicked her out so yeah. and this yes, is and Dave, and Dave Peterson heads up our office for PJI in, in Michigan uh, he's doing a, a great job. He also has a, has a doctorate in sociological medicine. Uh, <laughs> so they, they chose the wrong state uh, to com confront this issue. The, the stakes could never be higher than where they are right now. And yet, at the same time, God in his grace has given us appointments to the Supreme Court that have given us more uh, advancements for religious freedom, the sanctity of human life. And I believe we're going to see in the future... Uh, case law giving even greater protection to parental rights and the autonomy of the family moving forward as well and doing so very effectively and professionally. God bless you, Adam, and keep up the great work. God bless you. Thank you for PJI, Brad. We would love the opportunity to continue to serve you. Just visit pji.org and click the Legal Insider button to sign up for our email newsletter. At PJI, we help individual employees, employers, business owners, pastors, students, citizens of every stripe through our practical resources, counsel, representation, and defense, all free of charge at PJI.org. PJI is an island of stability and assurance in our ever-churning sea of legal and societal chaos. We are here for you. So folks, just remember... It's our God-given freedoms we're talking about. Now, let's choose to keep them. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Let's continue the fight for your freedoms. <laughs>